Welcome to Don't Tell Baba, the conversational podcast with Middle Eastern flair. My name is Shireen and my co-host is Nude. And today we have a very special guest, Ali Salama. Ali, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hey guys, it's Ali here. Very, 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 very happy to be on the Don't Tell Baba podcast. I met Noor and Shireen uh, at the Yalla Let's Talk conference and it was absolutely a pleasure because uh, I love seeing uh, women empower our Arab uh, youth and our, our Arabs all around the world. And I just want to say that it's absolutely an honor and I can't wait to dive a little bit deeper into the show. Before uh, before we even had the very distinct pleasure of meeting you in person, you sent us a message on Instagram and asked if we had time for like a phone conversation. Now, yeah. Shireen was obviously at work because she's three hours behind and everything sucks <laughs> when you're in a long distance friendship. Mm-hmm. But, but Ali and I got to talk on the phone and like magically an hour had gone by and by the time I hung up I was like so energized and excited and I was like yeah podcasting is the next big thing yeah like (laughs) (laughs) like Ali did that like he is so inspirational he was amazing to see on stage he is such like a force of nature to be around I wish that all of uh, like all of you listeners could meet him he's just Incredible. And we're very, very excited to have him here because his story is wild. It is wild. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Get the, this means a lot to me. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm so bad. So, uh, I'm so shy. <laughs> I think, I think well, I'll ease us in with the first. So I am more of a planner than I appear to you guys. Everyone likes to think of me as the one who wings it. But really, I like to prepare my questions interview style because I think I'm an investigative journalist in the back of my mind. Forgive me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. So so I'm going to jump in with the first question. And I ask this, Ali, like this question is coming from a very personal place for me because I'm currently going through a lot of the same things you were going through. So mm-hmm. like right now you are a podcast co-host. You are a mental health magazine co-founder. Like that's your job right now. And we're going to talk about that so much. But in your life, you have been a champion swimmer. You have been a musician. You are a speaker. You have done so many different jobs and had so many career paths open up to you. How do you know, like, how to make a choice? And do you question the choices that you made? Wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> I don't know where to start. <laughs> I just, I just, first of all, like, I'm overwhelmed when people introduce me like that, because I feel like all of us were lost in some way, shape or form. And uh, it sometimes feels like you have someone looks from the outside uh, inward, yani uh, alaya, onto me, and they think that oh, mm-hmm. this guy has his shit together. And actually, in 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 doing all these things that I've done, I was self exploring. Nothing much. I, uh, you know, I've always been a high energy type of boy growing up. My mom always knew that, and that's why she forced me to swim. And and I have this thing inside of me where. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it to the 200%. I always like to be wow in everything that I do. And it's funny because actually at the YLT conference, I actually had a wow formula to get, you know, to reach to people that 
uh, or to actually get the attention from people that otherwise you wouldn't get the attention actually getting them on the on your podcast and getting you know getting yeses from people that perhaps you wouldn't typically get and i think that that really shows in a lot of stuff that i do it was never about me i always felt like time was very valuable but i always felt that there was i wasn't enough growing up so that's why i probably have a lot of things that i sort of dived a little bit deep into um, we can talk about sort of why that uh, happened maybe later on the show. But, you know, I, I got stabbed when I was 15 years old. It certainly changed my life because I, I was inches away from dying. It just missed my throat. And um, uh, yeah, and that was when, you know, uh, my mom, she, 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 that was the first time ever I oh, saw man. the meaning of life. And dabahit means uh, in, for the people that don't speak Arabic is when you sort of... Um, I don't want to. It was like she was killed. It was like she was killed. Seeing you almost dead, it was like she was killed. That I I feel like that's a common Arab mom response. It's Mm -hmm. in If a mother loses a child, it's the single most devastating thing in the world. A lot of mothers don't recover actually from losing their children. We have many stories and myths like this in our culture. So I can only imagine how devastated she was. Yeah. And like yeah. uh, she, we slaughtered like a a cow. And I know this sounds very bad, but in our culture, we do that. Like when we want to give back and to the to the people that are hungry on the streets. And uh, she actually did an act of kindness in the name of me having a, a new life. And that was when I realized that holy shit, like my life is valuable. So let's actually make this shit something worthwhile living for. And I think that was my awakening. I think that when I was fifteen, I sort of became very woke. And uh, to the point where, you know, I'll disclose, I, I, I've done LSD, I've done acid, I've done shrooms, I've done all these things. And my friend who oh, actually Oh, are we going to talk about all... drugs on this episode? I mean, no, we don't have to. But like, it's, it's, a, it's a big part of like who I am. And I think that I don't mention it a lot. And I want to mention it here because I feel like this is the stuff we don't tell Baba. Um, really, That's we true. don't tell it's Baba. True. It's true. Um, uh, I my friend when he introduced me to those drugs he told me Ali look I'll be very honest with you they won't really affect you as much because you are one of the most like woke people I I, I know and in fact in fact it, it did affect me like I felt the euphoria but I didn't feel the extreme sense of awakening just because ever since I was a kid I would always question things and I would always sort of dive like a hundred times deeper into anything I listened to whether it be the music I listened to whether it be anything actually anything and that made me sort of have an edge in in in, in getting to know people on an emotional level in, intellectually emotional intelligence for me i think is the skill set i've been honing ever since i was a little kid and in fact it, it i honed it within myself because you know I, I do have a podcast called empathy always wins and it's not about the podcast it's about why i started it and i started it because i realized that this is the key factor that intertwines with all the stuff that i've been doing whether it be a, a a mental health ambassador or whether it be, you know, in swimming or whether it's, I had to regulate myself. And I think that this is what I've uh, been doing. And I don't know if I answered the question right, but this is kind of like my, not my background in a nutshell that I have probably never shared with, 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 with anyone before publicly. I mean, it is, it is so, so, so intense. And I, I think that I think that the intensity of your response kind of answers the question better than an actual answer would answer the question. And like the reason I say that is because I obviously asked something that is completely unanswerable. There is no way. (laughs) I mean, 
I know that it's impossible. I'm sitting here uh, between careers trying to make something big, trying to make something happen. And as much as I feel like I've been making choices, I also feel as though events have occurred that have precipitated other events and much of what ends up happening and much of where your passion lies and much of where you end up putting your 200% isn't so much a choice as where you kind of land in the universe at the time. Correct me if I misunderstood. Oh, yeah, that's exactly word for word. What, uh, you said it way better than I could. I just wish that there was a way to like give actual good advice out of these things. But it really is like you get buffeted around by the universe until you feel peace. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. pain, pain, pain is, is such a blessing. And I never understood that because pain is a very intense emotion. And people never change their lives because they're comfortable. People take the most transformational decisions in their lives when they feel a very intense emotion that could be happiness as well some people are euphoric but more likely than so it's it's usually because it comes from a from a from, or stems from a from from pain whether it be a, a permanent time in your life where you felt pain which of course um you know i i, I did then i went through a period of a, a mental illness where i was diagnosed with depression and clinical uh, clinical depression and an identity crisis. And that was a time where I felt the most amount of pain, way more than than the shame that I felt when after I got stabbed and I got stabbed by a 13-year-old. Um, and in Egypt, yeah, and he, that, that actually had a lot of uh, negative impacts on my sense of masculinity. And, you know, I, 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 I also mentioned that at the talk that I, I actually didn't date at high school because I was so anxious on how I looked and that affected my confidence, even though I appear to be very confident and like winning, you know, the talent show at school, being the swimming champion of the school, uh, being the water polo uh, captain of the school. And my school was a pretty, pretty like high up school in, in Dubai. It was the Dubai English speaking college. And that goes to say that why I started this mental health movement or the magazine was because I realized that when I got the diagnosis, I asked myself, holy shit, Ali, if you considered yourself to be one of the strongest people you knew, then and you've been through that, then how many more people are going through that and have not the courage to speak about that? And that was when I decided to dedicate my life to actually give those people a voice and, uh, and, 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 and really pursue that. So I have a question. This may be a bit too personal. And obviously, Ali, tell me to back off if I ever like like hit a nerve or say something that you're not ready to talk about. No, not at all. So you, you've mentioned a couple of times now that you were diagnosed with depression and identity crisis. Yeah. I very, very recently, and when I say very recently, I mean in the past two months, got a diagnosis for something that I've been struggling with for 18 years. Wow. So what I wanted to ask you is, where were you? Were you in the Emirates? Were you in Egypt? Were you in Canada? Where were you? I was in you? Toronto. Okay. 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 So you were in Toronto. Did I guess, can you kind of tell me the story of like when you started feeling like your mental health may not be great versus when you felt like you were able to get care for it? Because I obviously have a similar story. Yeah. Here. I feel... Um... Well, let's just take it a step back. I don't actually feel that that happened at that time. It did happen when I moved from uh, from the Middle East to Canada. And I moved here when I was 17. 
Of course, when I say that, mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, oh, how did you move by yourself and whatnot? I actually was a very confident kid, even though now I, I say otherwise. And that's the thing where people don't realize is that you can be very delusional and you can feel that you are on top of the world until something really cracks you open and it tests all your your foundational cords. Like kind of like being, <laughs> yeah, being so confident and then taking an LSD hit and like having a bad trip and being like, holy shit, I doubt who I am. And that was the thing that really struck out the most. I mean, Ali, you're talking to two women who also moved to North America by themselves at the age of 17, Mm -hmm. one of whom is bipolar and was literally in a manic phase when she moved here. Like, I feel you. Yeah. And it's uh, it's. It is what it is, right? It's something we all share. And I think this is why the power of these conversations are immense. And I think that we undervalue them sometimes. But this is why I I feel compelled to be on the show, uh, not just as a guest, as someone that uh, I know the impact of what you guys are doing more so than anything else. And we appreciate you being here. Um, This is like, this is really heavy shit. We should probably have put like a... A trigger warning at the start, right? Oh, we we can put one in the show notes. I actually have a question. Um, Ali, you mentioned masculinity, and this is like one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, what was your like, what is masculinity to you? How do you combat toxic masculinity? Just how do you how do you like rise above it knowing that it negatively impacts you as a man and also impacts everybody else? Uh, That's actually a really, really good question, Shireen. What masculinity means to me, I'll quote Brene Brown. Mm. She's one of my heroes. I started reading Brene um, when my mom passed me the book of her. I think it was Mm -hmm. Daring Greatly. And mm. my mom isn't a reader. So when she tells me, read this book, it's kind of like, holy shit, like, what the fuck? And I have a library of books. So I, yeah. uh, to the point where now in my podcast, I actually make the authors of those books sign them for me because it's sort of a pleasurable feeling. Nice. Um, oh, so yeah, amazing. what does it mean to be masculine? That is amazing. Masculinity is, and I'll quote Brene Brown again, it's leading with a soft front, yet a very strong back. What does that mm. mean? I think that means to me, is being able to say, I love you, being able to say, hey, bro, I'm, I'm always here and being able to be very vulnerable, but knowing where you stand and having that sense of, 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 of boundary, knowing where to say no and when to say yes. It's knowing when not to be ashamed and knowing that you owe yourself to be vulnerable, because if you're not vulnerable, you won't even like you won't even have deep, meaningful intimate sex if you can't be vulnerable you know if you won't have meaningful (laughs) you won't Mm -hmm. you won't connect with your guy friends you won't connect with your girlfriends you won't be able to share the emotions that are so deeply rooted and, and buried in yourself because you fear something and real men are those that are able to release everything within yet still feel that they are so strong and still feel that their big hearts are their root sources of their power. And I feel that that's been rooted in history with so many leaders. You know, we're not going to turn this into a history mm-hmm. lesson, but people can can, can study <laughs> some of the greatest people out there. And uh, certainly I've been a bookworm all my life and I found that that to be a successful trend. And I would say the strongest people in the world have the biggest hearts. Do you think that in the Middle East specifically, because you know that Nude and I grew up in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Do you think we have a, a vulnerability problem? Because I think oh, we yeah, have a vulnerability do. problem. 
I actually have a question. Like, I want a really specific example. I, I don't know how many episodes of this podcast you've heard, Ali, but I like to spin a narrative mm-hmm. around a specific issue to really like bring it down to earth. Mm-hmm. So I want to know. I want to know two relationships. I want to know the kind of relationship that you had with male friends back when you were participating in the toxicity. Mm-hmm. And then I want to know mm-hmm. your current male friendships and how those are different. And like maybe some of our young male audience might want to hear what could be a toxic trait in their friendships. Yeah, it's very, it's very, very, very fun. You say that, Noor. Um, even when I like, I, I perhaps was never like, in a in a male toxic relationship even with my guy friends living back in the middle east because both of them are actually one of the most sensitive people i knew but i only hung out with those two but maybe in the locker room i would still get involved in some toxic energy uh, between us guys and joke around in ways i probably wouldn't joke right now i'd be like yo you're stupid this this doesn't actually <laughs> resonate with with like dude take what you said back it, it's not cool that's probably how i deal with things right now and that's an example so for example if someone walks up to the locker like i remember a specific guy that i won't name he would uh, always boast about the amount of girls that he he hooked up with like in in, in the party last night and uh, you know we'd all laugh mm. and joke on how like it would uh, be so easy and how uh, again, like I'm going to be very explicit in how like some girls are cheap and whatnot. And I, at the time, I I did get involved in those things and I'm going to admit it very openly, but I never was. Did you believe it at the time? No. And I'm not asking this judgmentally. I'm just, I'm so curious because obviously no. I was never in those rooms hearing these conversations. No, of course I never believed it because I was always, uh, I mean, my mom raised me in a very, like my mom was the person who was I was always close to growing up and my granddad uh, he passed away in 2006, 2006 and he was my idol growing up uh, because he was the most uh, he was the strongest man that I knew yet he was the most mm. henayin i.e. caring and loving person mm. and that passed through throughout my mom's way of raising me up as a as a boy and subsequently as a man and I feel like I never, I, I never, I never kissed and told anyone. Um, I, 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 till today, I, I mean, I live downtown Toronto, but something I'd explicitly say is I've never slept with a girl here in my place having a condo for six years when Tinder was blowing up. In fact, I'll be very honest with you. I'm, I'm still a virgin. Like, I, I don't, and it's not because I don't believe in sex before marriage. I, I just believe in respecting women and I've never fallen for a girl or a woman that I felt that it was the right time. And I think that that to me is the level of respect that I've always had for women, even though I was involved in in, in conversations or whatnot, but I was never a, a leading force in driving those conversations. And I actually do not believe that being a virgin or being a man has anything to do with your sexual activity. Not at all. You know, I, I have friends that I highly respect and I would trust my daughters with those friends that uh, aren't. And that's something I really want to explicitly put out there. I just never had the chance um, to, to, to really share that intimate uh, connection with someone because I know when that feels right in my gut, I know what that means and I know how that feels. And I respect myself and I respect women enough to be able to not take that decision until I feel that this person is the person I actually want to spend my life with. So we do have a two-part uh, series on sex and sexuality, Ali. Yeah. And I mean, it's very 
honestly, it's it's it, it's important that you are here on a public forum explaining to people that you are a young man who also is a virgin. Yeah. Um, honestly, thank you for saying that. There is no shame to it. There is no stigma in it. Oh, no, not at all. There are a multitude of ways in which people participate with sex and with their sexuality. And the fact that you respect yourself and your potential partners enough to know when it is a possibility and when it is not a possibility is, I mean, honestly, that's the way to do it. It's the only way to do it. Yeah. And I want to also mention something that when I was going through my identity crisis, I actually doubted my sexuality. You know, I, I sometimes when you're so, when you're, when you're, when you, when you really stick to what you believe in growing up, you start to be like, oh, maybe I didn't have sex. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not attracted. And, and all those thoughts are like, you know, they teach you something when you're in therapies that not all your thoughts are real. Um, and they teach you how to deal with thoughts that aren't real. And that was something that came up. Maybe I, maybe I'm just, uh, I didn't know that I was gay growing up and blah, blah, blah. But I actually had those thoughts and those thoughts tormented me for, for quite some time actually. And I want to put this out because I feel like as a man, a part of me being very responsible in my messaging is to be very authentic and, and to be very vocal about something that, I wish, I wish, and I swear, I wish I had someone that would have said this out loud. And I wish I heard someone that I looked up to as a man displaying all traits of masculinity that I feel embodies a man. And that means that he is responsible, accountable, and someone I would trust. That's how I judge men for and masculinity. I do not judge masculinity in any other term. And I wish that someone had had the balls to say that out loud. And that's why I actually said this and I admitted to that because I feel like people need to hear the fact that it's okay to doubt yourself and it's okay to feel like when things aren't going right, it, it's a mental disorder or it's some some sort of phase that you're you're exploring yourself and that's all right. It's actually all right to go. Or, or you may very well just be going through an, an exceptionally difficult time. I mean, I've seen men who, I mean, they experience really traumatic events and and I'm talking like the loss of a family member. I'm talking about like a very serious breakdown in the family. I'm talking about financial ruin. Mm. Like I have seen men in, in true crisis. And what's always funny to me is that instead of being like, oh, my God, this is a legitimate crisis and I am crumbling under the weight of it. Instead of that, they're like, no, no, no. I feel bad because I feel bad because I'm a man and I should be able to handle this. And in my mind, I'm like, where the fuck did masculinity become synonymous with deity? Like, you're not a fucking God. You're a person. You can relax and sit the fuck down. If you can't handle it, like, it's okay. Call on your support system. That's why we have people. That's why we have families. That's why we have communities. That's why we have each other. Like, that's literally the point. But I find men being like, no, I'm going to bear all of this on my own back. Mm. And it's it's not necessarily that it comes with a lack of awokeness because a lot of these men are still like, you know, respectful to women. They love their mothers. They love their sisters, et cetera, et cetera. But what it is, is that they believe that the job of being a man is so massively huge and that only they can do it. And that their strength must then be greater than the strength of a million men. And that ends up really fucking people up because nobody is like this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think you've nailed that really right on the head in, in a perfect manner. And I think that men who typically think like that 
end up not being the, 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 the best team players in their families for their kids and whatnot. Because typically when that is your core sense of belief that you can take it all by yourself and whatnot, you typically expect others to do that, right? You typically do not accept when men mm-hmm. open up and you feel very, very unease when men start talking, right? Yeah. And I think this is, this, exactly. is, this is the virus that's happening in the region. And I typically, when I do what I do, I, t- I completely empathize with men that come out and like, gosh, I mean, like, what the fuck are you doing? Are you sure? Like, this is how you want to like, going about your life like, like your kids are gonna hear that are you just gonna be a weirdo yeah and i'm just being like dude look deeper into yourself i'm saying what you have not the balls to say i don't want to say i know how everyone feels but i know what feelings are and i know that real men feel deeply just as women feel and i know that we all have polarities we all have a feminine and a masculine and i just happen to understand that expressing the feminine the feminine in me does not reduce by any means my sense of masculinity in fact it elevates my sense of masculinity because it makes other men feel comfortable to be open with me and i feel that that is what true empowerment means and that's why i feel highly responsible in taking that message with empower hell yes hell yes hell yes i love it okay um we are going to call a quick break because we seem to have lost shirin yeah so again as i was saying i just feel extremely accountable for making sure that young arab men understand what it what it means to be a man in, a, in an era where even our parents don't really quite get how challenging it is to be going through the challenges of today's era and feeling so deeply and uh and not being able to express it and and to me mm. I, I feel that the only thing i i do in my job is to just give those young boys and young women as well, uh, permission to be themselves without judgment. I honestly feel like it's a pretty simple concept, right? Just treat other human beings, regardless of their gender, their sexuality, their personhood, their mental health history. Just treat every human being you come across with empathy. Conceptually, it's simple. Why do you think we're having such a hard time in the world with it? Can I hazard a guess before Ani gives his answer? Please. I think it's really difficult for men to challenge a system that they feel is working for them, Nude. Well, here's the thing. Showing empathy to another person is not a direct act of rebellion against a system. It is simply a moment in time in your interaction with another person. I just feel like there aren't enough people even trying it, and I don't know why. I I still I think it is still it's still it's still a system and it's not so much like the empathy itself it's like expressing emotions or like crossing over into feminine territory territory in general will remove you from the protection of the system that raises well, like, you up for being a manly well, man. Well like allow me to jump in uh, Shireen. Yeah. Uh, I actually like like I really respect what you said but I kind of disagree. Because I mm-hmm. don't think it's actually working for us. I mean, we're seeing the rates of depression in men and the rates of suicide in men way higher um, because of that, you know. And I yeah. think that, like, it may be working on the surface level. And you're right, maybe dead right on point. But, like, but the numbers don't show that. Um, yeah. The numbers show no, otherwise. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I should have said that differently. It's a system that men thinks 
works for them because toxic masculinity doesn't work for anyone patriarchy doesn't work for anybody it just gives the the impression of working on a very surface level like you're saying and it takes some digging and dismantling for people to start to see otherwise i kind of want the stories of the people who haven't yet caught up to the fact because adi you're right most young men in our age group and frankly most men in our circle specifically are woke young men. I don't have an example of a guy who we interact with regularly who exhibits traits of toxic masculinity. I would have to go outside of my circle, and now my understanding is a little bit hazier, which is why I ask so many questions. I want to know about Joe Blow, and I want to know why Joe Blow thinks he's benefiting. Oh, Ali, have you not heard these names before? Joe Blow is the best one yet. (laughs) No, I'm actually going to research him. I was like a bit anxious because I'm like, oh, no, are they going to ask me about Joe Blow? Okay, no, Newt, no, Newt just makes up these insane narratives and she just chooses like the most insane, whitest name she can think of. And then she she like runs with it forever and just builds this whole story around them. But oh I want to know about Joe Blow. I want to know about Joe Blow who works like this random ass nine to five. It's just, it's the most random job. It's not even middle management. He just, like he works at Dunder Mifflin, okay? He works at a paper company. Like I want to know how, I want to know how toxic masculinity benefits him. What is he doing in his day that being a piece of shit is making better for him? (laughs) Noor, I think that like, uh, how I look at people that you know uh, um, that, that display uh, you know traits of tos- toxicity and in, in, uh, being men, I just don't think they know any better. Um, mm-hmm. I really, I really, I really, I really think it's ignorance. I highly empathize with them because it hinders their progress in life and in their professional career. So not only in, per- in their personal life, and I think that you know sometimes you have to take a step back and dig a little bit deeper into why they are like that and how they've become like that. And I think that something that I'm really working on and doing with Empower is uh, is not really to bash people, more so to ask them uh, really fundamental questions through our our mission. And I know we're we're, we're sort of going to get a little bit deeper into Empower because you know I I I did read the the show's brief, so I don't want to like overstep here. But perhaps maybe later on I'll just explain a little bit more on how we're we're about to do that with with the magazine's launch. And we do want to talk about that, but Ali, that's exactly what I'm asking you. I feel like these guys, they don't know any better. I completely Mm -hmm. agree. I don't think it's their fault. But at the same time, and I'm going to be very, very frank here, a podcast with a pink camel logo is not going to (laughs) entice those men to come in and listen to us and change their minds. So I know that you already feel a lot of responsibility on your shoulders, but I'm kind of doubling it up for you. Because we're at a place oh right now where we, need, where we need our male allies, we need our yeah. men allies to be saying that these pink camels are okay and that we're yeah. not psychotic and that we're not asking too much and that we're not asking for the world when we ask for a dismantling of the patriarchy and toxic masculinity. Do, yeah. do you see what I mean? Like, I'm not yeah. going to get those stories because those men aren't going to trust me because I'm a loud woman with blue hair. There, But there is a fir- there is a first step, I think. And that first step is what Ali is doing with Empower. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I feel that you're, you guys are totally on point. 
No, you're totally on point. And I think that, you know, whether it's a, a pink camel or whether it's a, or a pink logo or whatever, whether it's a gay man working for Empower, I, I think that it all falls under one sort of umbrella, uh, which is, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the repulsiveness that men feel sometimes when, when they're encountered with things that make them uncomfortable, right? Because I think mm. that's really what we're talking about. Um, all the synonymous sort of logos, colors, all these things represent some sort of uh, a trait that is uh, undesirable when when we think of the traditional Arab man. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that what I'm doing is very simple here. I'm not trying to sort of, uh, uh, you know, as we say, um, sort of <laughs> yeah. or, or reinvent the wheel. I'm, I'm not. I'm just trying to make sure that in doing what I'm doing, I, I'm actually working to become a, a, a Nike uh, like ambassador as the first mental health ambassador as well. So I want to I want to make sure that I break oh, the stigma. That's so cool. as, yeah, I I, I want to make sure that you know I I want to give people permission. I want I want to really give people. And I think that you know I'm a big dreamer and I'm a big sort of uh, I believe in the law of attraction and I I believe in so many things. And I think that the more the moment we start you know taking those borders or, or those boundaries we put on ourselves and what defines us Anna, as a man uh, you know what I mean all these things that are things that we do you we... think that that's still a problem Ali? of course it is still a problem I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it's like not if you went into mashallah like from my perspective you are doing just so incredibly and if I was like several generations older and had a daughter there's a lot of hypotheticals here but see, I, mean, oh. I would be proud to recommend I would be proud to recommend you as a partner to a woman that I love and care about mm-hmm. why do you feel that you still face obstacles if you were to go back in Egypt and request someone's hand in marriage first of all really depends on 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 the person's family sometimes I will not find an obstacle with that partner, but with the partner's uh, family members, uh, the father or the mother, you know, sometimes they may be uncomfortable because, uh, you know, the whole theme of the show is uh, how do we allow a message in into a place where it's typically not um, welcomed? And I think that that's a huge risk I'm taking with what I'm doing. You know, I'm I'm, I'm well more prepared for that than, 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 than ever. I think that you know, with every person that's pioneering something, they have to, they have to put something on the line. And that's something that I knew doing all these things and saying all that I've said on today's show, uh, will one day sort of, it may be publicly scrutinized or maybe publicly, you know, hailed. I'd actually never gave a fuck about all these things. I just give a fuck about me being me because that's my message out there. And if everyone is them, I think we'll find more good in the world than bad. That's it. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you. This is our mission as well. Like, you're preaching to the choir, my man. I feel like we're all out here trying to make the same difference. And, like, I'm really, really happy to see you and your energy and your work ethic out here, like, fighting the same fight. It's very promising for our allyship and our progress in the world and the way that our educated academic spaces and our conferences and our youth leadership is just... It's just bustling and it's it's amazing. I'm just I'm so impressed every day. Yeah. I mean, dude, uh, and to and to just circle back the whole re- you were speaking from a place of like being 
self-aware when you were giving that hypothetical situation where you were an Arab baba with a daughter. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You're speaking from a space of self-awareness on a podcast called Don't Tell Baba. If you were were an actual baba, you would be feeling great discomfort. And that's part of the problem that we're trying to dismantle here. Yes, you're right. You're right. That that's a very very good point. Um there is a self-awareness in our uh millennial groupings that don't necessarily exist in generations yeah. past. And that's a whole conversation of its own. Um it's, we we started talking about empower. Tell us tell us more about it. Tell us how you started. Tell us why it exists and tell us what it's doing mm-hmm. right now. You know what? I'll jump into that, but I want to touch on something relating to my father before we jump into what Empower is and what it's trying to do. I feel sure. like, um, you know, when my dad started, when when I started doing all that I that I'm doing right now, uh, my dad, uh, you know, is a typical Baba, and um, and I love him so much, and you know, I unconditionally love him, and I don't think that he sort of um, at, at the beginning it was kind of like, yeah, I I, I get he's. I get what he's doing, you know, from his perspective, of course, but he just didn't comment, right? He just didn't comment, and and I knew what where he stood, and and now everything changed because I believe that he saw the value, and as I always say that our parents never bash us because they want something bad for us. They don't know any better, and they really love us with their language of love, and if they understood or they knew how to love us in the way we wanted love they would absolutely do it in a heartbeat no one's parent hate them that's something that really is against the law of nature and if someone's parents do hate them then that's an exception but for the norm this isn't typically the case even when they're so protective even then whatever we just have to be a little bit more empathetic and seeing their their things from their perspective and understanding that if they were raised in a in a in a in a, in a more self-aware manner they would do things better so that's what i wanted to put out there from a Baba's perspective and you know um i think it's so important for arab guys out there to understand that uh that that we shouldn't ever um my fashion has what that means is we can't ever penalize or, or punish our parents for doing that uh, for doing whatever that may have hurt us we have to actually part and be part of being leaders of today's generation we have to actually reparent ourselves and we actually have to be there for our parents because our parents grew up in a time where you know the great depression had just happened and so many you know, a lot of scarcity mindsets were were were, were manifested due to worry and anxiety, and, and yeah. people don't even think about that. People don't even think about that. We live in an age where you can be a YouTuber and make like what my parents have never made in their lifetime. Like we live yeah, in a mind. Yeah. We live. <laughs> people people don't even acknowledge or fathom how lucky we are today. And I feel that this is why I never, never, and I will never penalize my parents, my grandparents, uh, with any any mindset they ever had towards whatever I'm doing. And as long as I believe in what I'm doing, and as long as I can, I can actually be very honest with myself and not delusional and say, oh, I just want to be a, a rock star. And I don't know, I, I know pretty much deep inside that I don't have the talent for it, or I don't believe myself that much. I just want to follow a trend. I have to be very honest with myself in the mission that I'm on. And that's something that I wanted to share before hopping into Empower. And now like- I mean- yeah, I, I actually, it's it's a twofold thing, and I think this is a universal experience, so thank you for bringing it up, but two things that Arabs in our age group have to do uh, are one, meet, learn to meet our parents where they are, 
and realize that their behavior is just based off of like decades of loss and trauma and two, forgive forgive Mm -hmm. them for it. Those are the two biggest challenges that I feel like Arab people encounter. If any of you listening are struggling with this, when you forgive someone, it's hard, but it's about you're releasing yourself from your anger too. So I'm also I'm also going to give a third perspective on this. Um, and I know, Ali, that you already differentiated here between like typical and atypical families. But yes, of course, our families are completely well-intentioned. I think all of our sets of parents on this podcast right now are very, very loving, good, well-meaning parents who took the best care of us and loved us as much as it was humanly possible. But we do need to recognize that there are households in which parents are bad parents and that if you cannot forgive a parent for abuse or for endangerment or for whatever number of unacceptable things may have been done, that that is a different situation and that you don't have to forgive those people and that you can remove them from your life for your own. We're talking about our parents who were like, chill but like a little behind yeah i mean we're talking about your average arab mama and baba you know like um it goes without saying that any of those other circumstances they need to be handled differently but for the most part just growing up like you did or i did or ali did Mm -hmm. there is a process of Mm -hmm. pushing them off the pedestal that they unfortunately put on themselves because we are taught that elders (laughs) we're taught that elders are the height of perfection and they're never wrong so we have to take them off the pedestal start seeing them as human beings with a lot of trauma and then learn to forgive obviously if there are other circumstances don't forgive them go to therapy love yourself but please please tell us about empower i'd actually want to like jump in (laughs) because noura i do really really like how you said that some parents are actually very abusive but i i I will agree with you on that and i also want to disagree with you on the fact that while it can be so detrimental on someone the only way for someone to truly realize their full potential and their on on their actually their self actualization level and Maslow's, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is to actually have the strength because forgiveness is a, is a, is 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 a strength. Forgiveness is not about me uh, asking someone anything other than, I mean, look, forgiveness is like drinking your own poison. The moment you can let go. And the art of letting go is is one that people have to master for years. It's not easy, but in order to actually fully heal, one must must forgive. And I know it's so hard, and I know for people that have been traumatized, it's extremely hard. But that's what true empowerment means. And 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 I I I do highly empathize with people that have gone through extreme pain. But I do also ask them to pursue whatever they need to find that little bit of brightness in their heart to let that person go because if that does not happen it it never goes away and it haunts them and that's something that i had to do with certain people in my life in fact family members and i i wouldn't be the person i am today had i not forgiven them and in forgiving you unconditionally love and that is so different from accepting someone in your life and being close with them. That does not mean 
there's no such thing as something being binary here. Forgiving, that means they're in your life and you're accepting them. No, 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 no. You can forgive someone, but completely let go and live harmoniously with such alignment to what your inner core beliefs stand for. And I hope that that sort of like makes sense. I I hope that I didn't like sort of jump in and out between concepts here. I mean, there's a quote, there's a quote from Mr. Rogers, from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, um, where he says that forgiveness, it's not releasing the other person from your anger. It's releasing yourself from your anger. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 I mean, yes. um, I feel like we could probably rectify this entire conversation by saying therapy. Yes. 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 Hey, and I have a therapist, by the way. I just, full disclosure, I Same. have a therapist till today. I have mentors in every aspect of my life. I feel that there's no shame and whatnot. I mean, even as even as professionals, you know, Muhammad Salah has a life coach. <laughs> like, like uh, mm-hmm. you know, therapy, therapy, and I just want to distinguish something. Therapy is not life coaching, for, first of all. Uh, life coaching is kind of like having a trainer. And the, the, the analogy I always say at any podcast, in any talk, a personal trainer is different from a physiotherapist, right? A physiotherapist, you go to a physio when you have an injury that, you know, it, it, that re, that rehabilitates you from performing some sort of normal movement. You've been injured, you have a torn Achilles right. or whatever, or something is sprained and you can't walk properly. But that certification is completely, like they study, they study in the human anatomy and the human body. A personal trainer studies how to elevate your, 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 your body in a, in a, in a lesser degree of professionalism, i.e. you can take a course for a year to be a personal trainer, but you actually have to go to school and study anatomy and like do proper research and, 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 and be of a certain level of degree of professionalism to be a physiotherapist. And that's something that a a a a a therapy a, a therapist a psychotherapist is from a life coach. A life coach is really well when you want to elevate your life um to a higher level of performance and whatnot. But a therapist understands the human psyche very well and is well trained to actually understand emotions very well. Because unfortunately, in the Middle East, and something I get called on many many times, Ali, I have a, a life coach, and they actually life coaches torment those people because what they need is not a life coach. They have traumas that need to be dealt with. And life coaches are great, but they're not for people that have traumas and they're not for people that have mental uh, uh, mental mental struggles or disorders that prevent them from living a normal life that's how you know that you need a therapist is when you have some sort of a condition that does not allow you to sleep that does not allow you to have decent relate or, or meaningful connect connecting intimate relationships something that prevents you from feeling okay that is different. A life coach is great if you want to up your business game, if you want to, if you maybe have like a problem that you maybe need some advice for, instead of calling a friend, you can actually have a life coach that is a little bit more savvy and interpersonal. And you know what? A lot of executive coaching um, um, uh, certificates right now are absolutely great for for elevating, you know, people in leadership positions to be uh, great life coaches. But that's something that I really wanted to share on this show because that's something that in the Middle East we do not have governing bodies to to to, to protect the practice. Anyone can put on their freaking doorstep. That scares me anyone can put on their freaking doorstep. Oh, Dr. Uh, 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 which stands for uh, anyone can put a life coach. Like now you're seeing the coaching business 
a billion dollar business. And the fact is, anyone is getting a certification. Everyone's calling themselves a life coach in the Middle East. And to be honest, I'm not being very pessimistic. I'm actually one of, I'm actually an optimistic person. But most of most of the people that call themselves that are are, are BS. Because it's kind of like young entrepreneurs, people coming out of school, putting on their Instagram bios, oh, I'm a CEO, because he just signed up for a company and registered it under the legislation of Ontario. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's, you can't do that. And that's what I feel responsible as, as, a, I, as, as a magazine, as, as a magazine connecting mental health with culture. I have so many both questions and also additions to make. I'm going to start with my additions because you raised important points and I would like to expand on them. Yes, of course, there's a difference between a therapist and a life coach, but within mental health professionals and practitioners, there is a difference between a therapist, which is a Somebody who is trained in psychology yes. or psychoanalysis, there are different degrees that you can get yes. for this. But even your therapist or your psychoanalyst or your psychologist is not a psychiatrist. Yes. And that is something that I have had to learn oh, because yes. I have been in and out of therapy for 10 years. But I'm seeing a psychiatrist next yes. month. And the difference there is that when you go to therapy, your problems are something that you can change uh, through lifestyle changes and self-improvement and changing the way that you think. And you go to a psychiatrist when the issue is that you've done all of the therapy and you've made all of the changes and you still want to kill yourself, then they make you take yes, medication yes. for that. And for many, many other yes. things. It's a great point you mentioned. And people need to understand that they're Sometimes, I mean, not sometimes, when you're when you are mentally ill, I actually had to do blood tests. Why? Because they needed to see the chemical imbalances in my system. They needed to understand because the, the, the brain's chemistry changes. It's not a uh, I'm so, so a little bit sad. Uh, no, 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 no. When your mood changes, yeah. your 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 entire biology changes. This is why mental health to me is not just oh, like the mental personhood health. changes. Oh, yeah, it changes your life, changes everything, and it's not a uh, it's mm-hmm. not a small change. It's 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 some it's serious, and uh, and sometimes of course for not for, for for some cases more than others, uh, medication is definitely a, a, the way to go. Uh, you know, and, and that's that's a whole debate in itself. But I'd rather not go into that because I, yes. I'm, I'm a pro and con and pro and con. But that's very, very, very subjective. And everyone has their own story. And, you know, I'd rather use use our time exactly. for something that can be a little bit more general and something that can be of value to our listeners and, and, and to us, you know. I completely agree with you because Shireen and I definitely have to do an episode on mental health and our experiences with it. So our listeners can look forward to hearing us really differentiate between the different uh, levels of expertise in the business and the ways to access the appropriate care. Shushu, does that sound like an episode we might do soonish? Oh, for sure. Amazing. Okay. Empower? So to get back empower, on empower, track. empower, 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 yes, empower, 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 would say that but that's really what it we're all about i found that the most difficult challenge 
well, not just in the Middle East, in the world, is that mental health is not integrated with culture. Mental health is, even in the Canadian system, you know, I've sat in like, many i've attended sat in many boardrooms i've sat in in conferences here and and this this problem remains the same even with great mental health services navigation is whack is shit why Mm -hmm. because it's not integrated with culture it really isn't and people don't get that people don't get that people aren't (laughs) educated so they don't know what to do or they oh even if they know what to do the service providers don't know how to integrate (laughs) with culture they they really don't People yep. aren't trained businessmen to understand how to market things, right? Or how to navigate because you're not taught UX and UI, which stands for user experience and user interface, which business people learn in, 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 in business schools and how to actually understand the customer journey and how a customer goes from point A to point B so that when you're on a sh- when you're on like Zara.com, your experience is seamless. That's what navigation means. Navigation means is that when you have an issue, what do you do? Okay. Do you call a number? Oh, shit. How many numbers are there to call? Oh, shit. What's the right number for me to call? And then what? Yeah, that's true. You're right. This is the biggest issue in Canada. It's navigation. Now, Mm. what Empower aims to do, Empower aims to tackle much more than just navigation. Empower aims to tackle the entire cultural perception behind mental health. So when I think of Empower, I don't think of it as a magazine. I think of it as as a movement. I think of it as a movement that aims to really be the hub of bringing forth young change makers. And when I say change makers, I mean leaders that want to make a difference in the world together. Um, Empower is not just going to be a place where you can read mental health, educational um, or entertaining articles. We're going to be having camps. We're going to be having great, great, great conferences. Um, we're definitely going to be launching the, the first youth mental health conference in the MENA region, giving people incentivized awards such as Changemaker of the Year, um, NGO of the Year, Woman, uh, Woman Entrepreneur of the Year, um, Woman Social Entrepreneur of the Year. All these things are now being conceptualized by me and my team. And I simply just want to make people realize that in doing good, you can actually be rewarded. You don't have to be in the Guna Film Festival um, to to be on a screen. You deserve to be recognized, loved, seen, and heard by fulfilling some sort of a good cause. And that doesn't have to be in the UN in a place where like, oh my God, how am I going to reach? That has to be through a, a curation system, which Empower aims to do and bringing forth that to the region and that to the world eventually. Amazing. So how can people access your magazine? What is the access like? How do people get their hands on it? What kind of articles can they expect to see in it? And how come it has taken the region by storm? Um, so people can access it through Instagram, uh, Empower Mac. Uh, we can put it in the show notes for sure. And, and typically, um, we're very active there. Uh, the magazine's website is empowermag.com. Uh, we can also write that in the show notes as well for navigation. Uh, yeah. But how did it take the sort of region by storm? I think that I don't believe in luck, to be honest. I believe that like I wasn't put on this world for any other means or, or purpose other than to do that. And I think p- things played out so seemingly perfectly imperfect. Does that even make sense? So I launched a magazine... Mm-hmm. On March 1st, 2019, I got diagnosed um, in October 2015. Um, I stayed for like maybe 
three years until I felt that I was ready to do that. In the midst of doing that, uh, of course, I had a period where I, I even spoke about it at the YLT conference where I was like, wow, definitely people are going through that. So I put a Google, an anonymous Google form, and that went viral. And at the time, it was called Break the Silence Egypt. It was on my Snapchat at the time. Now I don't use Snapchat. But at the time, people swiped up. <laughs> and people, people really, really, really poured their hearts into it. I wasn't ready at all to read the horrific stories that I had read from people that had found a, finally found a means to express their inner traumas that they have kept in a secret, dark place hidden from the world. And that to me meant one thing. That to me meant that I had to get the fuck better and make sure that I did something about it. And knowing that the digital era is going to be so empowering for us young change makers, and I'll keep using the word change makers, not young entrepreneurs, because I think change makers is a way more powerful word. Change makers to me refers to people that want to make a change and live off of that high and purpose. Of course, making money is a big part, but more so purpose over profit is what I live by. But I decided that I needed to do that. And in in healing myself, I in twenty uh, in twenty eighteen, I found myself ready, and I got prepared all throughout January, uh, February. Uh, to you know, get my, my get my head familiar around WordSpace um, and the online world, and I taught myself how to put a website together. Uh, I did everything you know by myself at the start, and uh, I launched in March, and you know it was it was it was kind of a, a hit, um, and I found myself receiving one DM from someone that had been following me, and this girl Yasmin Afifi. Never forget her name. I even mentioned her name at the, the talk, the YLT conference. And I remember she told me, Ali, you have to be at the Harvard Arab Conference because there is a mental health uh, panel that you have to listen to. You have to be there. And at the time, I canceled all my plans and I made sure I was there. And uh, slowly but surely, the the person who led the talk, the, 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 the keynote speaker, Dr. Nasser Loza, um, he's the he's currently the World Federation for Mental Health president elect, and he's one of the most renowned mental health professionals in the Middle East. He he, he runs the Behman Hospital and and like around 10, 10 professional practices or offices or, or or therapy centers in Egypt. He me and him instantly clicked. Me and him he knew that I wasn't a kid wanting his attention. He knew that uh, there was something. And uh, anyways, we ended the conference. I stayed in touch with him over email. Um, May, I had an internship at RBC. I was still figuring out how the hell am I going to do in power. I found an email coming to my inbox from Nasser telling me, um, you're you're invited to come to the World Health Organization's workshop uh, with me. I think that you would be a great addition to speak there um, because the workshop's purpose was to bring forth like around like 90 Arab journalists from like every every major arab newspaper yeah every major newspaper that have been writing bs around mental health and spreading all these false perceptions that control people's perceptions in the media and uh anyways i he told he just told me ali unfortunately they aren't paying for your trip so uh so please let me know if you can make it i would love to see that i was like dude 
what the hell? Of course I'll make it there. It's an honor to be there. I didn't say that to him, of course, but in my mind I said that. And uh, at the time, me and him had a former relationship. It was kind of like uh, every time I sent hit that enter button, my heart would like sink and I would feel freaked the fuck out. And uh, <laughs> why I say this is because I'm about to like backtrack it with something kind of cool. Um, I meet him in Sharm el-Sheikh at the convention center where the World Health Organization, uh, the EMRO office, which stands for the Eastern Mediterranean Regional Office, uh, the headquarters, um, were having their meeting. And uh, I stood before like 90 journalists uh, on day three, or yeah, after I'd mingled with them for two days and they had seen me as a normal, perfectly functioning person. I said my story and they like literally um, jaw dropped. They couldn't imagine that I was a living proof of all that they had said for like decades has been debunked. And that was when I truly realized my power as an individual, as a storyteller, and as a as, as a messenger and as an ambassador. And ever since then, I sort of called myself uh, the Middle East Mental Health Ambassador because I realized that no one has ever done that. And I realized that, holy shit, like we need more ambassadors to, to really represent this because no Arabic speaking person has done that. And that's something that I aim to do maybe inshallah in the next couple of uh, years and bringing this to the Arab world. But before you have, you even touch on Arabi, you have to even, you have to touch the the, the people that are, that, that are, that are speaking English because, you know, baby steps. I'm always, I'm always a big fan of baby steps. Um, Ali, I, I have a question. All of this is incredible. And all of this is just, it's so huge. And I love the strides that you're making. And you deserve every single opportunity you are given. And I think that you completely deserve the title, the Middle East's Mental Health Ambassador. I think that you are 100% putting in the work that gives you that title. But you say yourself that you're starting with English-speaking audiences because we have to start with baby steps. And generally, English-speaking audiences in the Middle East, unfortunately, tend to be the more educated yes. people. And I know it's biased. How I know you? it's biased. People of keep course, telling me but, all the but time. But no, you can't help it. The system is sure. biased. The system is yeah. biased. But my question to you is, is actually very specific. How do you tell a young person currently living in the Middle East, whether they are English speaking or not, how can they address their own mental health concerns with the people who are closest to yeah, them? That's a great Do you question. have any tools or methods? Um, I would just have to really empower them to feel safe and comfortable to seek help because I am not qualified. I'm, a, I'm, I'm someone who connects people. Unfortunately, I'm not a professional that could tell someone I could guide them. And that's the whole purpose of Empower, right? Empower is here to guide people mm -hmm. with the right and, 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 and honest and, and, and actually qualified, qualified professional. Um, so, yeah, something yeah. that I would advise them to do is to, and you've mentioned that before, a major skill set in our region that is heavily, heavily, heavily um, uh, not taken upon is building strong support systems. I want people that are listening to this show to take a moment and think about three people that they honestly trust, that they can honestly tell their darkest and innermost secrets to without, without fearing judgment. And if you don't have someone like that in your life, then you're, 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 you're in trouble because when crisis hits the fan, when shit hits the fan, this is when you're most vulnerable and more susceptible. 
And you always need to be prepared for things like that. And that's why support system exists. They're not they're not there so you can share your wins with. No. Like even when I give talks at schools, well, no. yeah, when I give talks at schools, you have to have a crisis plan. And that crisis plan is sometimes even emphasized in schools when you give when when I give my talks here at schools is maybe you have so much trust in somebody that if something's happening like that is majorly like that you're in a crisis mode make sure that with that friend you coin word a word you 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 have sort of a, a code system maybe it's a whatsapp message that says uh, it's red or maybe it's hey I, I X, Y, Z, I don't know what that is, but something that we really need to work on is, uh, is building that support system and understanding way, 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 way well before we need help, that we will need help one time. No one's life is perfect, 100%, not even the best in the world, but the best in the world have the best people around them and know how to qualify people in calling them the best for them. And that's something that, you know, that's what Empower is about. And um, that that's all I perhaps my best response for that question. It's a pretty good response, I got to tell you. <laughs> I feel like I have asked everything I want to ask, and I have so much information in my head to ruminate on and think about. And I think specifically, it's it's really worth considering how our podcast, how Don't Tell Baba could be valuable in the Middle East as well, because I think the majority of our audience is Middle Eastern North Americans. Mm. And as you said, Ali, that is biased as well, because we are accessing a population that is prepared for so much information that other populations might not be prepared for. And like, it's just so much to think about, you know, and the ways that we're reaching people and who we're reaching and then the, that bias that you're talking about and how much of it is systemic and how much of it is important and who's ready to hear what and who's not ready to hear what and how should things be expressed. It's just, it's, I feel like we're maybe us. even they're leaving They're all the... watching us, you know, they're all watching us. Something that I really did not recognize um, is that the Egyptians that wish they had the privilege of living abroad, they're really watching what we're doing and they're really influenced by it because if you look, if you go to Egypt, like look at the very subtle things, or if you go to anywhere in the Middle East, look at how they dress. Just look at how they dress. Yeah. Look at how they speak. They're watching us. They really are. Yeah, but then there's the concern of stepping in where we're unwelcome. Like I always have this fear of like maybe I'm getting involved in a place that I have no business getting involved with, and I'm stepping on something that should be respected. Hala, I don't know how much of that is me being a muhtarama woman, and how much of that mm -hmm. is is me being afraid and biased from the yeah. get go. And like I said, there's a lot from this conversation that I have to like take with me and process yeah, i think that i think that i like i it's it's something that we're constantly me and you and shireen and mike the producer we're working on i think it's uh, we have to be less afraid and we have to go for it because you'd be surprised just like i am right now the amount of support we're getting i think that is a testament to how much in need these conversations are and i think that um someone has to take the first step. It's kind of like when you're in an audience and uh, there's a really good song being played and uh, it's it's the law. I, I can't remember what it was. It's the rule of the first follower. Yeah. I think some people should, people should YouTube that. 
the first follower is sometimes the most impactful. It's kind of like when someone is dancing by himself in a circle, then another person joins in. Yeah. And then like before you know it, five people yeah. are then. And like, of course, that first person that stepped in the circle is fucking shitting himself. But who has the balls to do that? You're right. You're right. You're mm-hmm. right. But it's so funny because it's not only the first person who steps out who's shitting themselves. It's also it's also the first two people to follow you, them. Like that is such a fucking good point, Ali. I never think yeah. about that. I always think about that because I feel like I'm always like um, sometimes like this is not easy, guys. Like I, I it's it, it. People think that oh, this guy has it together, whatever. Like I'm, I'm nervous. Like I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm sometimes stressed, but I'm fine with that because it inside I feel it's the right thing to do, and I always feel good people always win. That's that's the core belief that I lead my life with, and in doing something worthwhile, like look at Mohamed Salah. Do you think that going back to the Premier League when he failed at Chelsea was an easy move for him to do? It wasn't. We're not sports fans on this page, no, but, but like, but like that's an analogy of one of the best. arguably sports people in the Arab region. He failed at a place and coming back, he had an immense pressure from the public to deliver. And he not only delivered, he became one of the world's best athletes in the world. So, I mean, of course, of course, of course, it's, it's, it's full of, it's, 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 it's a road that is, that is definitely difficult for anyone that is trying to live a life that is worth living. Because at the end of the day, You are the writer of your own script, your own movie. Do you know how hard it is to be yourself in today's world when everything is telling you to be otherwise? Like people don't. I just mm-hmm. want to clarify for like one second, though. When we say that it's hard to be yourself, we don't mean that it's hard to express your yeah. likes and yeah. interests. We mean that it's actually hard to get to know your innermost self because you are so constantly distracted by the noise yeah. of everything external to you. That like the one time that you look inside yourself, you're like, oh, my fucking God, it's empty. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. It's hard to it's hard to follow what you believe in. It's hard to be your inner kid 24/7 like before the show like I was you know, I, I, I usually I I would be so worried on how people think about me. And and I think that in letting go, I just sometimes you just have to say what's the worst that can happen? This guy's not going to like me. This girl's going to think I'm an idiot. So what? blah 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 and then in doing that you actually give permission for people to think like that when they're around you and you make them feel comfortable and i can't tell you the amount of times arab men and women have come up to me and opened up and even have came out sexually to me for the first time because of that level of comfort that not i have reached to within myself that because of that i have allowed people to feel a certain type of way and i don't think anyone other than my mom for that because she was the only and that's why I'm a true believer on, of women and of empowering women I think this woman is 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 and I know it's a very cliche thing to say but I truly mean it when I say it that uh she is the the, the heart of of everything I do man good mothers run the world yeah. there's no there's no joke there we this is the truth good mothers run the goddamn world and mashallah your mother raised a wonderful young man who we are proud <laughs> to call our family thank you thank you noor elganna tahta aqdam al ummahat bnqul kada bil arabi 
Bezabet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the translation is heaven lies beneath a mother's mm. feet. Well, I remember once when I was a little kid. <laughs> I came home. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I just had like a recovered memory. I came home from like religion class and I laid down on the floor and I was like, Mom, can you step on me? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that was a great recovered memory thank you so much no, for that. thank you guys for Holy for god. having me and this has been an absolute yani, pleasure honestly shireen as well i loved uh, i loved how you uh, you know you pointed out the masculinity part during the show i think mm-hmm. that uh, it's a work in progress and i'm always going to be in contact with you guys i know you bring very 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 um, great value to the conversation in the Arab world and uh, you know we have to be family together we have to stick together because uh, the the people that win are the people that appreciate the values of others and uh, this is this is this is this is this is us all in it together and this is what I really believe in yes I love it I love it this is it's so beautiful and Ali thank you so so much for joining us today this has yeah. been a pleasure no, oh, it's it's my pleasure, and I'm always gonna support any any upcoming or any Arab uh, youth really trying to break some boundaries because uh, it's a mission that I stand for, and so long as I have the time and energy, uh, I will always be uh, yeah, any open for any 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 person. I think that uh, something that I never had the chance of uh, of doing growing up as well was uh, asking for people, and that's something I want to leave all our listeners today with. Please, if you believe in something heavily, ask the world for it. Go ask help. Go ask yep. for Shireen or Noor uh, how they started their podcast. Go ask me how how we started. How did I started the my uh, the mental health magazine? Start. You know, if you never ask, you never receive. That doesn't mean you are. Yeah, fam. It's not a yeah, secret. We'll yeah, tell you. Mm-hmm. It, there's nothing secret about this. It's it's tough. That's for sure. But what isn't tough? Nine to five is very tough. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> There's nothing right. tougher than a nine to five. All right. It's Shereen, true. Please I'll take, us, take out. us out. Thank you. Okay. This has been yet another episode of Don't Tell Baba. We hope you enjoyed it and hope you'll stick around for more. Our music is by Amar on Fiverr. His username is CH6K0R. Post-production is done by News Husband Mike. Thank you, Amar and Mike. Thanks, guys. <laughs> that was sick. You can hear you can find more from Ali on Instagram. You can follow them at EmpowerMag, E-M-P-W-R-M-A-G. Uh, you can follow Ali himself at Ali Salama A-L-Y. Like A-L-Y instead of Salami, Salama. I always say that. People get that name wrong. I'm like, A-L-L-Y-S-A-L-A-M-A. Yummy. Yummy. That Bieber new song. Do you guys like it? Anyways, let's hop on. And I don't bite, guys. Please DM me anytime. I love it. And he is the host of the podcast, Empathy Always Wins, which you can also find on Instagram at Empathy Always Wins. For more shenanigans... Find us, uh, us being Don't Tell Baba, on Twitter and Instagram at the Baba Pod. If you want to drop us a line, call us at 530-32-HADOM. That's 530-32-42726. See you next week. You and remember, don't tell Baba. <laughs> don't tell him. Oh, my don't God. Tell Baba. There's so much you shouldn't don't tell, tell him. Peace okay. out, guys.
Peace, Peace out. out. Thank you so much for joining us, Ali. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <Goodbye. laughs>